This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing. Half measure style. Kia ora tato and welcome in to this week's episode of Half Measures. Joining me here in the studio is a man who's preparing to trade in his city life to live a rural life, but you better believe he will still rock those Air Jordans. It's Dan Whiting. Kia ora Paul. Um, Air Jordans, Air Force One for life. They're not going anywhere, but... It's been a disaster, Paul. There's so much going on. A disaster is probably a bit strong, but there's a lot going on in my life, and my viewing is suffering because of it. I feel like there's some stories to dive into, but first, can I clarify, after going to the trouble of thinking what I'd say, did I get the trainer type wrong? Is it not Air Jordans? Is it it's Air Force One, right? Well, yeah, so Air Force One is my primary choice, but I'll also, I'll also wear some Air Jordans. Like they're, they're my two choices. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. I was, I was at least I'd go either up. way, but... Yeah, AF, AF1 is the, is the, what I'm all about. Uh, yeah, look, so, um, I'm in the middle of a move, moving, um, a little bit out of the city, just to add a, add a bit of, uh, challenge to my life. Um, we've recently got a cat. Um, the check engine light has come on in my car, and, uh, someone recently stole my wheelie bin, and I want to know, why look the, the biggest question out of all of this for is the wheelie bin and i feel like i've saved this especially for the podcast because i've got so many questions and i just don't understand so let, let me take you on a little journey if i may here we go all right so our wheelie bin is was absolutely chocker like it's full because we so we're moving house so there's boxes there's chaos there's stuff everywhere and the wheelie bin is at capacity and the wheelie bin goes out on Tuesday. So on Monday night, walk outside, bag of rubbish, ready to go in the wheelie bin, final bag, going to cram that in there before it goes out on the street on, on Monday. Mm. Oh, sorry, on Tuesday. Mm. The wheelie bin is nowhere to be seen. It is gone. So someone has literally been into my property, like gone around the back of my house and taken a wheelie bin full of rubbish. Could this be like a, a super fan of the podcast who wants to dive into your life and wants to go through your trash and, and to know more about you? I need closure on this, Paul. I need to know what's ha- what's happening. And I'll tell you what's even – this is even more poor form. There's like – I'd actually left my lawnmower outside and <laughs> – not for any real reason other than there's so many boxes in my garage that I was like, oh, I'll just leave it like sort of like tucked under the under the eave of the house they didn't take the lawnmower, like, but they took the wheelie bin. And I don't know about you, and maybe this speaks to my character, but if I was going to come and steal your wheelie bin, the first thing I would do is I would tip all the rubbish out of it and then just take the bin if I really needed it that badly. But they haven't. They're, they're very cleanly taking the whole bin with all the rubbish. It's full of grass clippings, old junk. I, 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 I'm so perplexed. It's a full service they're offering here. I think if you're going to steal a wheelie bin, unless you specifically need it at that very moment, at least find out the schedule and steal it on the day when it's empty. Even take it after the rubbish men have emptied it, you know? we So we even rang the wheelie bin company to say, because we'd cancelled our wheelie bin, and so we were like, okay, no one actually steals a wheelie bin. This, this is ridiculous. So we rang them up and we're like, hey, did someone come and take the wheelie bin? And they've just taken it back and they've like, they saw it run the back of our house and they were like, we'll do you a solid. And, but no, they were like, we, we, don't, we would never do that. We would never come onto someone's property and take the bin. It has to be out on the street for us to take it. So somewhere out there in Wellington, New Zealand, is a wheelie bin full of my rubbish. And I don't think I'm going to get the closure that I need. That's my big concern. My biggest concern is I 
this week in front of about 60 people gave a bit of publicity to this podcast in front of a lot of people and a few of them said oh yeah i might tune in this week give it a listen and now they're tuning in and they're like wow this is how it rolls every week this is really non-atypical right this is a, a rubbish podcast where actually dan is literally talking about rubbish this is it this is my life welcome to the pod welcome to half measures welcome indeed uh as they say in gilead dan We've been sent good weather, although here in Wellington, we certainly have been. It's been awful weather. Imagine if your bin was out there today, it would have just gone sideways, right? I can't talk about it anymore. No, it's, it's, it's too it's much. It's distressing. And we haven't even gone into the cat, which I've seen a photo of, which, by the way, for anyone who watches uh, Star Trek Discovery, this cat basically looks like Grudge the cat. This is, uh, this is, this is a very attractive looking, I can't think of the, the breed, but it's a really nice looking, quite a big big cat right it's a yeah so it's a it's a Maine Coon Maine Coon um and we were trying to sync up this um this new addition to to our family so for it to be there when we moved actually into into our new house but as the as the gods have determined that is not not the case you you will have a kitten while you are packing your house in your final week and you will have that added uh, little adventure in life but uh, no, it's fun. The biggest, uh, the biggest thing right now, Paul, is I'm trying to find the perfect name, and I want, I really want a name that sort of speaks to the, you know, the the TV, movie, pop culture sort of genre. And I think, I think I'm getting pretty close. That's great. I could never believe when we got a cat when we were driving back home to think of a name, and I had all these great names in my head, and it was actually my wife. It was Diana who said, "What about Mando?" And I was like, "That is amazing. That is." the greatest thing ever so uh and that's why you married her paul that is this there's a whole host of reasons there dan um the engine light on your toyota corolla is on uh, uh however that won't stop you from watching stuff dan all of these excuses i want to hear what you've been watching this week all right so i i have watched one thing apart from so obviously we've got a whole bunch of things that we've watched together which we'll get into shortly but i managed to actually fit in a, a movie and it was a movie we talked about last week on the pod uh, the big lebowski so i finally i've i've righted previous wrongs i've redeemed my um movie critic credentials and i've sat down i've watched this movie from 1998 Coen Brothers movie, it's a classic. So Jeff the Dude Lebowski, mistaken for a, um, a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it back, is the synopsis of this movie. And I don't know, Paul, why I've been waiting. Like, why have I not watched this movie? Why? What has stopped me? This this is this is gold. This is an absolute gem. Um, and I know that this has got a, a huge... Um, fan slash borderline cult following and there's a lot of appreciation for it but it feels like a movie now that I've actually finally sat down and watched it I almost want to sit down and watch it again because there's so many great one-liners as you mentioned last week John Goodman is an absolute star in this movie he's got so many great one-liners the whole premise of the movie is kind of about nothing and about everything all at the same time and I just had a I had a wonderful time What's really funny, Dan, is I watched this movie this week as well, which is uh, quite extraordinary because, uh, you know, this is what happens. We inspire ourselves to rewatch things. Uh, and in your case, a first watch, I'm so pleased you've watched it because there is so many great one-liners. I think the, the power of the rewatch, as I learned, and it was a long time ago I watched this movie, just, as you said, John Goodman, just so many wonderful lines. Like when he's when he's bowling and, like, the guy steps over the line and he's just so damn serious about the fact and he's like mark it down as a zero and the guy's like no it's an eight and then he just gets his gun he pulls his gun out and says doesn't any of you respect the rules anymore and it just he just has the most um a real quintessential look in this movie i i think you're right and i i just love his his anger and frustration about everything and his whole character and the fact that he's still kind of like, he's this angry man and he's still dealing with his like ex-wife and he's just got so many, like so many problems and issues. And he's obviously very sort of like triggered still from, from the war. And he's got, got, uh, I don't know. It was just so great. And I think the, 
the whole cast of this movie is absolutely stellar. Like Steve Buscemi, Jeff Bridges, Tara Reid. It's got Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. It's honestly, it's it's got Julianne Moore. It's it's so good. It is, and I'd even forgotten um, that we had a cameo, and of course the narration from Sam Elliott as well. He was. Um, fantastic uh philip seymour hoffman i forgot he was in it his dialogue back and forth with Judge bridges is hilarious you're entering a world of pain dan great line yeah it's and i i just i love the simple premise that this the whole movie is kind of about like this rug and that he's the mistaken identity and kind of the the series of events that unfolds from that so this movie uh, is on Netflix here in New Zealand, but uh, honestly, it was so good. I, I, I'm, I'm so puzzled about why I haven't watched this movie because, as I say, it's it's a lot of fun. It really, it reminds me of like sort of things like Fargo and stuff like that, and it's got such a a, a great dark undertone to it. Yeah, so much goodness there. Um, when you mentioned Julianne Moore. Um I I really like her. I've always been in, like an advocate for her, especially like a, in Hannibal when she got all that hatred for replacing Jodie Foster. But I have to say, her character in this movie and all those scenes, I don't know, that was the one weak link for me was her part in this movie. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I guess I was on such a, as a, a first-time watcher, um, it didn't worry me too much and... I just had a great time, and I've, I do have to admit, I had to watch this movie over a, a couple of sittings, and it's not normally my preferred way to watch a movie, um, but I just had so much stuff going on with moving, and it um, sometimes, I don't know about you, but it kind of, sometimes it takes away some of those issues that you might have when you sort of watch this as a, a full sitting. Yeah, no, fair enough. I am um, Great soundtrack as well, right, in this movie. Uh, really, really, really good. Um, just the, the right the right vibe for this the those psychedelic scenes when jeff bridges is sort of out of his mind um when he's flying through the sky um oh yeah just 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 so much goodness like when he gets broken into and he's sat there and he's like hey this is a private residence man like it's just i'm not doing it any justice and it must sound rubbish when i'm saying it but when you're watching in the context of this movie it's just great yeah, even just the way the the dude talks about himself, kind of sometimes in the third person yeah. and stuff as well, and it's just this sort of whole chilled out vibe. And you know, Jeff Bridges is obviously a a superstar as well, and he's been in some some great movies. And I I, I think I've finally got a bit of an appreciation for why so many people love this movie. And so it's it's one that, as I say, I definitely hope to, or no, I will sit down and watch again when I get a moment. Nice, yeah. I think it's even just all those scenes between the the, the the key three guys with Steve Buscemi, always been told to shut up by John Goodman, and every time he opens his mouth, just all of those bits are just fantastic. That's that's the highlight for me. Steve Buscemi is so great, it's, especially because he's just kind of got these little quips in the background, and he's always been told to shut up, and like yeah. you know, he's not part of the story, and like that's good, that's good. But that that pause that the only thing I've watched apart from the things we've watched together, a awesome. poor effort from me this week. Well, it's been noted, but, you know, the engine light is on the car. There's a few things going on in the wheelie bin. Well, I feel like there's more to hear about that. I look forward to hearing an update on that next week, maybe. I uh, I've, Obviously, so I watched Big Lebowski. I only actually watched one other thing myself, and that was um, the the 2002 movie, One Hour Photo. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen this one, Dan. This is Robin Williams, who plays a a mentally unstable photo developer and he targets a middle-class family after his obsession with them becomes more sick and disturbing than any of them could ever imagine. Is this one you've seen? This this is a movie I haven't seen, but um, I'm very much aware of it. Um, and it came out not long after I finished working in a – I spent three years working in a, a photo photo store learning to develop photos. And it always kind of had a bit of a, a, a creepy context. But no, it, it isn't one I've watched, but – I actually feel like you're not the first person to talk to me about this movie, and obviously it must have just come up on. It's on Neon, isn't it? Am I right in saying that? Uh, do you know what? I can't remember now where I watched it. Let me just check that. E- either way, so it's sort of it's popped up somewhere here recently in New Zealand, and I've sort of heard three or four sort of people in my um, immediate network talk about this movie, and it's sort of finally another movie I haven't seen, but sort of you know almost 20 years after it came out, I, I kind of am interested in watching it. 
Yeah, this this was actually on um, Disney Plus on Disney Plus Star again. That's another one I found on on Star. But um, yeah, it has been a while. So you know, you've had plenty of time. If I do give any spoilers to, to watch this one, yeah, it's been out a while. But it's it's really worth it. It's um, and I have to say because I've I've watched this before when it came out in two thousand two. There is something about watching this uh, subsequent to you know to to Robin Williams' uh, suicide, given the somewhat depressed nature of his character in this in this movie Sai, the photo guy that he plays so it, it is sort of kind of like you know how we just mentioned um philip seymour hoffman was in big lebowski it's kind of it's uh this one is even more poignant in terms of um watching it um but he's just so good in a serious role in this movie because when i think of him as most people it's always the comedy always the laughs always the improv but in this role He's just he's just fantastic, and I, I I also think of him when he played the murderer in the uh, in the Christopher Nolan movie Insomnia. Another great example. He he's just so much more than a comedy actor. Yeah, no, definitely. I think he's uh he's got a lot of great movies. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I I don't know. I might have said this on the pod, but I I have always sort of have a bit of a mixed a mixed bag experience with Robin Williams. But I know he's he's just so loved by so many people, and I think. It's that experience that kind of like puts me off um, watching it, watching these types of movies, but often to my own detriment because I'll I'll end up watching them and really enjoying them and and wonder where this kind of feeling comes from. Yeah, I would. I mean, uh, we haven't done a peak performance for Robin Williams, but I would guarantee it would be in my top three. I hundred percent guarantee that he's uh, he's exceptionally strong in this, um, and he he plays this role with like this 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 innocence. Uh, like he's not aware that what he's doing, his obsession with his family, he's not aware that what he's doing is wrong or inappropriate. He seems to, he seems to genuinely come from a good place. But when you see the story from any other angle other than his, it's creepy as hell, and you just want to call the police uh, immediately. And he has this this Walter White look. If you think about Walter White from like season one Breaking Bad, yeah, you know, the way he dresses real beige and real real plain. He's real polite and timid and his whole life is just seems to be working at this Photoshop. And then yeah, it it escalates from there. I don't want to give away too much if you do go away and watch this one. But once once he there's a moment in this where he flips and he becomes sort of louder and a, a little bit more aggressive you know it's like when it's always they always say it's the quiet ones you need to watch when he when he flips he's he's really really um scary so yeah it's a it's a really interesting psychological thriller i think it's aged a lot but the reason i feel like it's aged is is not so much around the 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 look or the feel or the film or the fashion or anything like that. it's actually just around this the idea of the photo stand um, processing reels, uh, you know, whole loads of films. Um, I think yes, we do have digital photoshops now, but this movie I don't think would work if it was set in a digital age. It's sort of it's really confined to that moment around the, the film itself. So yeah, this this yeah this is one I definitely recommend. I I feel like um, there's a lot of tension. It's a it's a good psychological thriller. I think you're right, like just thinking back to my uh, days working in a, a f- camera store and it, actually people actually give you quite a bit of their life when they, you know, they're giving you obviously rolls of film and you're actually you know going through each photo frame by frame and, and developing it versus you know obviously a, a digital, even if you are going to print your digital photos then it's very much at a booth isn't it, you print them, you walk away with them, there's no, um, there's no opportunity for um, creepy movies as such. What's really funny is what you just said there is very much like the opening monologue that Robin Williams uses in this movie when he's like, people give the give you quite a lot of their lives. <laughs> it's like, it was just wow, like, okay, I'm like, going to have to watch quotes? it because I, I feel like these, these uh, yeah, I feel like I've got some interesting stories from back in my, um, my photo days. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to add this to my list. That's great. Um, my criticism of this, just quickly, I didn't think the support casts were that that great. I thought Connie Nielsen as the mother were, was very good, but the rest of them just were very, very average. But the strength of the movie, obviously, Robin Williams. It's only an hour 35, which makes this really easy to watch, you know. And yeah, if you're a fan of Robin Williams, Robin Williams is definitely going to be worth it. Um, so yeah, so that was alongside the big Lebowski all I've watched apart from the stuff we've watched together so shall we 
jump into our second episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch. And if you're not watching this show, you can use the, the show notes in the podcast to scrub ahead to the next item. Yeah, so um, episode two was called Cut and Run. And I don't know about you, Paul, so this this episode um, is, uh, I guess, a, a real throwback, I think, to the to the Clone Wars because the, the whole episode's going back to a planet we've been to in the Clo- Clone Wars Center, a contact that we've met before. I guess it's kind of building out that, that relationship um, with, with Omega. Um, and... I don't know about you, but it it's it, it definitely wasn't as good for me because I, I think we, we came off such a high of kind of setting the tone of the show. Mm. And this episode reminded me of classic Clone Wars where you have high and low episodes. And not to say, like, like I still overall enjoyed it, but it very much like changed the tone again for me and kind of went into a bit of a um, – Filler's the wrong word because it, I don't think you need a filler episode, um, episode two, but it's, it didn't quite maintain the stride that I guess I was looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it was pretty good without being spectacular or, or as memorable as the premiere, but it did, you know, you use the word filler. I think it did have a feeling of being a bit of a, of a filler. Um, it just, and I feel like we had you know, quite a lot of that in Clone Wars season one and a bit of season two as well. And I really, uh, I, I do worry about that. I do want to see them come back with a, a strong episode three to ensure we haven't lost that momentum from the, from the first episode, because, um, there was a bit of that. I also really hope that this show, um, kind of earns or carves out its own identity because the, as you said, the way that episode went, it does have that danger of just becoming feeling like it's actually something of a bit of a season eight of Clone Wars, if you know what I mean. I think that that's actually a really nice way to put it. And I feel like, you know, we talked about this at the end of Clone Wars. I kind of felt like, you know, we both talked about, it. we kind of, we've had a lot of stories. We've had a lot of great times. We've ended, uh, we've kind of ended a couple of times and we, we had a, a perfect ending and I want this to be its own thing, mm. not just more stories um, about the clones and kind of, I think what's kind of frustrating now because of where we are in the, the, the arc of the, the clone stories is that the clones have gone from kind of being the, the, the good guys and the heroes to now actually being the villains and they're all kind of turning into douchebags and they're not quite as fun to interact with. So I see why that episode happened because I, I think, you know, they're really trying to strengthen the bond um, between Hunter and Omega and, and, and trying to really set the scene that actually they're going to be a unit and they're going to go off and do, do missions and whatever it is. But it's kind of, in the same context of the Mandalorian always having to look after Grogu, having having a, a young mm-hmm. child on these stories adds an element of babysitting to it. And I think about, you know, when Omega's outside and there's a um, that, that big uh, alien's tr- trying to get her mm-hmm. and then, you know, they're having to save her and it's like moments like that – I feel like I thought the Bad Batch was going to be different and I, I really want it to push into its own space, just like you said. When we're out of sync, then we're out of sync, just like last week. But when we're in sync, it shocks me how much we are, because I even made a note of Grogu, particularly as that sort of reference point with Omega. It's like the same thing, except with all due respect to Omega, you know, she's not quite as cute as a baby Yoda, right? It's kind of like, it's just going to be this kid that's hanging around when Hunter tries to send her off with Cut because he thinks, you know, she needs to be with the family. We knew that she was never going to go. She She's always going to stay with the Bad Batch, and so she's going to be a character who's going to, who's going to stay with us. So, um, and I, I think, you know, in terms of that own identity, I think leaning into what I talked about last week, leaning into that age of the empire is going to be how this show creates its own narrative. And I think, um, that it's, uh, as you said, with the clones now, they're all just, you know, they're not the nice guys that we, we used to, uh, to love. They've, they've turned into jerks because, you know, Emperor Palpatine has flicked the switch to Order 66. And, uh, it was good to get a bit about the chips, the inhibitor chips as well. That was quite interesting. Yeah. Like, I think little bits of that context are good. Um, but yeah, any of that, I, I probably don't want to ham on it too, too hard at this point. We are early at episode two, but I, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they, they find their own sort of path. Um, path for because I think there's some gold in here to be had. Yeah. 
I thought it, I thought there was a couple of good things that I thought they did when they they introduced the chain codes, which that you know people needed even just to book public transport. That was pretty good because you know that those later become clearance codes, which of course we first discovered in in Return of the Jedi. Um, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was quite good that you know we could, we've I guess we've confirmed that clones can have their own kids. Um, you know that's that's kind of good to know. I guess we've never really known that before, but I am frankly quite amazed that these clones aren't being spotted more often because a hat and some sideburns shouldn't be enough for to disguise them from a clone trooper who you think would recognise themselves when they walk past each other. A hundred percent. Like that, the things like that are really frustrating. I also have questions around. So obviously, clones can have children. That's great. Clones can have um, Twilight children. I've got a few questions. But <laughs> yeah. Let's not get into it. Um, and there's something else you said. Oh, with the clearance codes, it made me wonder how many business analysts are working in the background on this project. Paul, I feel like it's a huge transition project. It's full chaos. We're transitioning into different type, a new code system. It's, it sounds like a mega project. It does, and someone's still got to organise the the closing ceremony, morning tea on Camino, which I guess we we might get to in episode three. Let's hope episode three lifts it back up a bit, shall we? Indeed, indeed. All right, so uh, shall we move on to Fear the Walking Dead? Yes, so we uh, are now into what I would describe as the the strangest episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Once again, if you're not a fan of the show, you can use the show notes to scrub ahead once again. But in this episode, Dan, uh, we have Grace waking up with a case of uh, amnesia and sees what has become of her friends after she's been gone for years and she struggles to put the the pieces back together on what has transpired so this is uh episode what are we up to now episode 12 of season six in dreams what are you thinking um interesting one um i uh, it's tough right because i think um I want to make a joke in here about seeing Christmas Morgan, where we've got <laughs> we've got Morgan kind of set up as Father Christmas. Um, okay, so I think the thing is with with this episode is at first I didn't really like it, and then by the end I was okay with it, but I've kind of got some some thoughts, I guess. So what was interesting about this is this was in my mind, this is Fear the Walking Dead. Somebody got a chance to really go out on, you know, go out, try something different, do a, a pretty creative episode and do something quite a bit deeper than it's probably give, giving credit for, particularly because, um, you know, it wasn't really quite clear, particularly in the first half of the episode, that what is happening here, there's kind of um, – bodies and walkers and all sorts of digitally appearing and then there's kind of obviously a bit of a, a time jump and it didn't quite make sense and then um, obviously it all kind of played out to be um, Grace and interacting with her, her child uh, Athena, is that right? Mm. And I think my complaint with this episode, and it's a minor one, is that this is a cool concept that I'm not sure should have been used on a, and no offense to Grace, because I think, you know, like the actress and the, you know, like interesting character, interesting story. But this seems like the type of kind of plot point that would have been really cool for a, for a, an A-list main character. Like this would have been an interesting story to do. I was thinking about this today with, you know, when we had that episode with Daryl's just walking through the woods for an hour, this would have been a great episode to do with, like, with Daryl, right, and actually show something completely different and sort of show an alternate timeline and, you know, you could have even brought back in Rick to do something. Um, but I kind of feel like is this – this felt like a lot for Grace, considering we don't really know a lot about her. And I know that this episode didn't necessarily do overly well, but I think, you know, by the end – I overall enjoyed it. Yeah, look, I, I agree with some of the things you said there. I, I think this one will probably either work for you or it won't. Uh, I think that's reflected in the episode score. Um, at first, I had no idea what was going on with this. Was it, you know, was it a dream? Was it actually the future? Had she been injected with some drug and this was some psychedelic dream, like in the Big Lebowski or what? But um, I, it's interesting because. 
this this isn't a backstory, you know, because you know the the baby didn't survive, and so the that future vision um, also isn't something that holds weight. It was literally just a dream. But that said, I did enjoy just the idea of seeing this future with Christmas Morgan. Um, no matter whether it was a real thing or not, I liked the idea of seeing how it might look. And in that respect, I wasn't so bothered that it wasn't an A-list cast member. I wasn't bothered that it was Grace because I was actually interested in what she, as as the audience, we were seeing through her eyes, what she was seeing, which was all the other A-list characters. And it reminded me, do you remember when we had those those future visions on, on the main Walking Dead um, and they were all sat around that table in the future looking old and happy with kids and all that. I kind of got that vibe with this episode a little bit with, with, you know, with, with Morgan, with, with Dwight and, and Sherry and their child with June, who's now, you know, Dr. Dory, um, you know, and owls ran off looking for helicopter lady. I quite liked that, even though in the end it was just the, the, the dream of a, of a lady who was going through quite a lot. Yeah, look, I think, and, that, and that's why I say, I think by the end of the episode, I was actually kind of like, oh, that was kind of quite a, a deep and meaningful episode, and it, it kind of ultimately worked for me. I just, um, yeah, just sort of on, on, on reflection, I, those those were my thoughts. Hmm. Um, what was I going to say? I've completely lost it now. Um, this is great for the podcast when I've lost my train of thought about what we we're going to talk about. While you while you were just thinking of that point, I I will also point out I was amazed that Morgan has obviously found some sort of you know post apocalyptic cure for hair loss because as you've pointed out he is sporting a real good Father Christmas head of hair in this future vision. I so I remember what I was going to say is so what I really appreciated about this episode is that our uh, bad guy. A new bad guy from the previous episode, um, and they continued him into this episode, and we got to learn a little bit more about him. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I found that he really looked like Joaquin Phoenix um, as the Joker. He's kind of got that haircut and that kind of vibe about him. Um, and I enjoyed the fact that they kind of got multiple chances to kill him in kind of this dream sequence, and you actually didn't know sort of throughout it, like, is he actually dead or? What, what's happened and I thought that I, I kind of felt a sense of reward from that because it's like great they've killed him oh no he's still alive oh they've killed him no he's still alive yeah no I get what you mean it was an interesting look right and it was particularly interesting in the dream sequence as the walker who was able to converse you know because of course it was a dream so anything can happen I thought that was quite an interesting interesting look for him uh in the real world in terms of him trying to get this key um i'm excited to learn more about this key as we go on but uh in the real world i felt like he didn't see he's a bad guy but he didn't seem like that bad of a bad guy he was like literally like all i want is the key if you give me the key i'll leave and he could quite easily have taken the key and, and killed all of them but he didn't he, he stuck to his word and kept kept his word and took the key and went in an apocalypse war, I'm killing everyone. Like, if I if I want the key, like, I'm leaving no one behind because there's no way, like, so first of all, Morgan just absolutely destroyed everyone with his staff once again. And I love badass Morgan. Like, he really takes people out. And when the guy came back to get the key and he, like, busts his truck through there, then he's like, oh, give me the key, like, and then just drives off, I'd be terrified if Morgan's going to come after me. He's going to come and take my wheelie bin. So I need to finish this right now clean the situation up so just fyi in an apocalypse i'm not going to be a good guy yeah i'm here i was just gonna say if anyone has any information as the whereabouts of dan whining's wheelie bin please do not provide that information directly to dan please let it be known to me and i'll filter through so that someone doesn't end up getting killed um (laughs) it's uh yeah look i there's been a number of things that happen in this um this this entire Walking Dead universe over the last decade or so around people's behaviours, which uh, it's of course we've got no way of knowing how people will react in a in the apocalypse, but um, well not yet anyway. Uh, it's it is intriguing. Indeed, it was good to see um, in the sort of um, flash forward, I guess, or dream sequence. I liked how they kind of had Victor and Daniel, obviously, sort of have sorted out their feud and they've been friends. It was obviously very tidy with Dwight and Sherry getting back together, and it, it was all very clean. But I, I enjoyed actually seeing Doctor June, like as you as you mentioned before, that was that was kind of cool. So. It, it was good that they kind of had some fun with this episode as well, particularly because I think we have started so strong on Fear the Walking Dead. Um, I, I actually 
it's great that they're actually having a chance to do something a little bit fun and different as well. Yep. No, absolutely. I um, yeah, I, I like the fact that they tried something something different. I felt like we haven't had this before. Um, I I do feel like not that it matters now, but I feel like the episode would have held a bit more weight if if the baby had been a girl and 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 had had survived. I guess because that would have allowed us to believe that maybe there was something mysterious going on there whether you believe in that or not there would have been an undeniable link but of course it turns out it was just a dream and um i'm okay with that overall but there are a lot of people who've come out of that quite frustrated that's a waste of time and um yeah that's why i think it'll either work for you or it won't it's funny isn't it because i feel like paul as walking dead experts we know about a waste of time and this this was not it i've seen some bigger waste of times than than that that is for sure but uh but yeah just you know this this is for me the first time we've had a slight dip um because this season's come in really really strong uh, after the last four episodes so i'm keen to see another strong one next week Awesome. So uh, now we probably should have mentioned this. If you are, <laughs> it's probably too late now as we on, move on to our, our last TV show that we've both watched. If you're not interested in these, then make sure you do look at the, the time codes and you can skip ahead and tune into the ones that you like. So the next one that we're going to talk about is episode four of The Handmaid's Tale. So this episode is titled Milk. And the synopsis of this one is that June takes a harrowing journey with Janine trying to escape Gilead. As Janine remembers a stressful experience in her past, in Toronto, Serena tries to manipulate Rita, who seeks advice from Moira. So, interesting episode, Paul. Um, I feel like, on one hand, um, you know, I've been talking about Get Me to Chicago, show me mm. what it's all about, we got a taster. It's just as horrible there, which is a, a sad time, but... I thought, actually, what what did you think of this episode? I, I, I thought this was another another good episode, but I keep thinking about what you said last week around how much have we actually extended the story, and we have a little bit, as you say, we've got a bit of a taste of, of Chicago now, but um, I feel like it, it could, um, I feel like the story needs to quicken its pace and as you know i am someone who who normally actually quite likes a slower pace so it, it must definitely be quite slow if i if that's how i'm feeling but um yeah i think i thought it was a good episode i thought the whole the whole milk tank on on the freight train escape was was pretty cool um there was a lot of things in here i liked seeing the 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 martha I've forgotten her name now, isn't that terrible um i, I like the way she was telling mr waterford you know how it was not being afraid to call him out for those things despite how she's been oppressed for years so there was a lot of things in here i liked but yeah just that overall let's just move forward a bit more yeah look i think you're right i think the whole scene in the milk tanker was was great i really enjoyed i guess getting to see a little bit more about janine um but it is tough though isn't it and i think this is the same with bad batch like <clears throat> you give us a big taster and then giving us these sort of bite-side episodes, which on one hand we love because it actually like draws out the experience for us and we get to kind of look forward to it each, each week. But on the flip side, often one episode isn't enough. Like it's almost mm. like with two episodes kind of savour it a little bit more. And I think, you know, this is probably going to be this challenge with season four is, is it going to move quick enough for the masses? Um, particularly because I think, you know, in general, Handmaid's Tale is quite a slow-moving show. Mm. And I think for season three, I actually saved up all the episodes and watched them all at once. And that has some some good things and bad things as well because this show is obviously, like, it's pretty heavy, it's pretty dark, and actually consuming too much of it at once isn't equally a good thing. Yeah. I, I think what you said – actually, I was thinking about what you said last week, actually, about how you like this new model – and you're referencing it with sort of um, Handmaid's Tale and you referenced it with Bad Batch about, you know, you give us a three episodes to get us back in and then we get back into the weekly flow. I agree with you, but I'm going to add a, a new business requirement onto that, which is get us in with the with the three episodes in a row and then go into weekly. But that next one episode after that one has to be a strong one. You have to come in with a real strong episode to keep that momentum going. That next one, because it's a shortened one, I think it's so important. I feel like... There's a few other things I could criticize in this this one. They, I feel like they're really now overusing this. You know, when they zoom in on June 
I, I feel like it is it can be really powerful but when when you do it every week you kind of you kind of cheapen that move um and you know the gang that they wound up with you know that clearly weren't made it right from the start i'm just kind of like kind of like what we were talking about in the walking dead with you know all these groups of people why is it that everyone but the people that we're following has to be bad must everyone be bad i don't know this that guy was you know he was a real jerk right yeah, no, he, he definitely was. And I think it kind of, as you were talking there, reminds me of um, in the in the early days of superhero movies coming coming back to being mainstream, I felt like we were constantly watching origin stories and it was painful because you, you, you know, if it was a, a hero that you already know a lot about, like whether it be Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or something, like everyone knows the story and it's like, why do we have to keep, like, or um, Bruce Banner, or we keep repeating it, we have to keep re-explaining to people what's happening. And I feel like it's a little bit of that with June, whereas how much... Uh, like heartache, life stress, and duress can this poor woman be put under? Like, I want her to like, like stand up and be and be the strength, be made a like actually like be someone to cheer for. And I think, and instead of that, we just keep we keep seeing her broken down even more, and it's it's quite hard going. Yep, I look, I I think I argued against that point last week, but I'm definitely starting to see it with more and more episodes. So I know what you mean. Um, the on the positive side, as you said, Janine's her backstory was. I, I thought it was um, really good. Good to see that. I think her character deserves that after this many seasons. You know, she's been involved in. Um, I, I feel like yes, yeah, I feel like her acting is is really is really right up there. Seeing this sort of backstory was was quite a powerful sort of move for the writer so i definitely applaud that i um i feel like you know this next episode we've got to move forward and since we had no aunt lydia in this this episode i'm expecting a full episode involvement in her uh, next week what i'm also intrigued about is why are serena and fred waterford just still got so much power even in canada like it's like you guys should be in a cell, but you're having meetings in like you know boardrooms. Like I, I don't understand the the power dynamic of and, and some of the sort of internal stuff around that. But I do agree with you. I actually think the story between um, June and Janine was actually it was actually really good. And I think I did actually appreciate that. You know, June has actually been looking out for Janine for a long time, mm. but Janine's actually got her own kind of like sad tragic story um and i think you know again the the show you know does a lot to kind of speak to some of like you know the issues that particularly women um face even even in you know current day society and i think they they do a good lot a good job of sort of shedding light on that um but it's 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 always you say there's still lots to there's a lot of stuff to give people sort of i i guess what are we heading for like give me Mm. show me the goalposts yep no, I get it. I think to your point around why are they being Fred and Serena being treated so well, I think in this world that they live in, these guys are pretty powerful people within the context of that world. And so I feel like um, it's like if you imagine NATO have captured a really powerful figure, a terrorist or whoever it is, I feel like um, that in fear of Gilead's response, they would want to make sure that those that they're treated well so in the event that they are required to give her up or him up or, or whatever that there's there's a less of a recompense but i don't know but um i uh what else was i going to say on what you said i um yeah the, the the relationship with june and janine is really really good the scenes they have together that as i said the freight train that actually made me feel pretty nauseous that scene um being in that milk tank in a dark confined space filled with liquid that's sort of like above my head the whole thing's moving at speed in the dark i think that would be pretty scary i thought that was a really well directed scene and i love the line that janine had when she's like oh this is stupid we're gonna we're heading to the front of the war soaking wet stuck in a refrigerator <laughs> i thought that was yeah. a pretty pretty good line yeah no uh, look it was i think this was uh um it's still, I think, a, a, it was a good episode. Look, at, and I guess it's reviewed pretty well on um, IMDb at a eight point two. Mm. So, look, I think still good. 
it's still like I think people are, are so excited to be sort of like back back in the saddle with shows like this. So um, hopefully episode five is a good one, um, and you know we're going to be watching it regardless. So. Exactly right. Shall we go into our final uh, segment of things we've watched, which is a movie of the week feature? So each week. Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. We post that movie a week in advance in our Discord uh, community, which you can join by clicking on the link in the show notes if you want to watch along with us and then listen to our review. What have we got this week, Dan? This week, Paul, we are watching Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, starring Michael B. Jordan. Indeed. So an elite Navy SEAL goes on a path to avenge his wife's murder only to find himself inside of a larger conspiracy. Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. I have to admit, I hadn't heard of the book. I hadn't seen the movie till your suggestion came through. What are you thinking of this one? Um, I feel like this movie reminded me of old school action movies. And it kind of had a... You know, there was there was a lot of fantastic action scenes. I thought uh, Michael B. Jordan was definitely uh, a military badass and had some some great great action scenes with um, yeah, great action scenes. I I feel like maybe the the story was a little bit um, predictable and maybe a little bit too long. I felt like. At several points, I thought, oh, this movie must be about to end. And then at one point, I thought, oh, this must be it. But it still had 20 minutes to go, and I thought, what is this, The Return of the King? Like, how many endings are we having in the, in this film? But I think, over like, this is a movie which obviously they're trying to set up a, a wider universe. They want to obviously launch maybe a Rainbow Six series, and I've, I, for one, would be interested. I, I'm a big fan of um, Rainbow Six, the video games. I've, I've never actually read any of the books, but... I, I enjoy Tom Clancy books. And so I I kind of have a bit of a mixed review in the sense that I did I definitely didn't hate it. Mm. I I didn't love it. It was real middle of the road for me. And so if you're looking for something that's um, you know, kind of action orientated, pretty easy to follow, and uh, not too much to kind of think about. A good popcorn movie, and this is probably one for you. I'd be intrigued to see how it does, to see whether this actually does spawn the the universe that they're looking to create. Yeah, well, they've definitely set it up in terms of that the universe, and you know, linking it in with Jack Ryan, I think, is a really clever. You know, to have um, Jodie Turner Smith playing Karen Greer, who was this is Admiral Greer's niece i think is that right i'm not sure now but um linking that in i thought that was a nice way of keeping that link together i thought jody actually jody tinner smith just on that note i thought she was really really good um we you know we watched her recently in the in our movie of the week we had a uh, queen and slim um and she was fantastic in that as well i thought she was really good it's interesting what you said about how much more time has this got to go because I really appreciated the length of this movie because if you exclude the credits, this went for only just over an hour and a half, which for this type of movie, I think it's, I think it's perfect. I don't need it to go on too long when it is, as you sort of quite rightly framed it, sort of a bit of an old fashioned action movie. But um, no, I, I enjoyed it as well. I'm quite surprised that this is scoring so lowly at a, you know, 5.7. Um, I I didn't I wouldn't say it was overly spectacular. I thought that um I thought there was actually some, you know, some pretty decent effects on this movie even though I got a sense it didn't maybe have the biggest budget, but um you know, I thought some things were really quite effective, quite shocking like that guy, you know, at the start of the movie when the team were getting wiped out, that guy who gets run over by a car just like I thought that was really very, very realistic. How clever, how they shot that. But there was a lot of things in this movie which um, worked well for me. It was a little obvious watching the setup of the movie and that, you know, when his wife gets murdered, the instant he goes downstairs and puts on his headphones whilst his wife is, his pregnant wife is upstairs alone. You just, you know what's coming. I felt like 
there was there was very little tension there but it was horrible to watch that scene it was yeah quite something oh yeah like, i think you're right like it's actually got some pretty dark moments i think that so the guy as you say taking his wheelie bin out and gets run over <laughs> correct interesting i'm surprised the surprise the wheelie bin wasn't taken <laughs> but and i i also agree i thought uh jody tuna smith was awesome and sort of went you know toe to toe um with michael b jordan as a uh, action hero and I, I thought that was really cool and you know, Jamie Bell, Guy Pearce so it's got some great actors in it and I think that it's a shame that it is sort of reviewing where it is because it, I think you're, like, you're right it probably deserves better than a 5.8 for me it's probably in the 7s maybe you know 7.5 7, 7-ish 7 range mm. and I do wonder whether you know when you think about Jack Ryan this equally probably would have made a really great TV series and they probably could have done like a great sort of 10 episode or 8 episode arc that would have really set up this universe in a good way or there could even be a way that they they continue it if they just sort of decide to go down that path uh, because I think there's, there's so many great Tom Clancy stories to tell um, particularly in that sort of whole sort of counter-terrorist space on Black Ops that you know people would eat that stuff up and I think especially if they sort of maintain particularly if they keep Michael B. Jordan attached to it they keep the same sort of level of budget and action it's it's definitely one to watch yeah it is for sure. There's a, there's a great universe that could be explored there. We won't be seeing Guy Pearce in that future, obviously, after his demise. But it was always it's always great to see him. Um, I, I I thought actually it was a good. I thought they concealed that he was the you know the big bad guy quite well. I thought it was a really good cover. Um, how they sort of overplayed Jamie Bell, his character as being like you know, uh, yeah. I, th- I didn't see it coming until pretty much oh the big reveal of course diana got it at least 60 seconds before i did because she always does because she's she's sherlock holmes right and on the subject of jamie bell can i just quickly say i do think he is a good actor but he is either too young or he's got too much of a baby face to be that high up in the cia i'm sorry i'm just not buying that yeah look i don't want to be um someone against short maybe was he too short like there was something i think you're right like he maybe was too young to be that senior and there was something about him that didn't didn't quite sit right in fact i was convinced throughout the whole movie that he was the the bad guy right from the start which i guess is what they were trying to make you think anyway but yeah um what else do i have i think um yeah, I think that probably for me is about all I can think. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, he is really strong in the lead. He's definitely one to watch going forward. On top of what he's already done with Tenet and and with the the Creed movies, I am. Um, yeah, there's this is this is worth a watch. Um, and if you're a fan of the Tom Clancy type of books, I'm sure you've probably already seen it. But yeah, if you haven't, get in there. Yeah, I agree. Like I'd I'd probably give it two and a half guns on the guns akimbo scale i often wonder well, like with a movie like this whether it would actually do better on netflix or something because i just don't you know i don't know a lot of people that have particularly in new zealand have amazon prime um as a as a streaming service and i wonder if it got a little bit more mainstream um it, it might actually get a bit more love yeah you could you could well be right and i agree with you two and a half guns for me as well dan Good times. Well, shall I take us over to the news desk? Let's do it. So not a lot of news this week, but a a couple of things to bring to your attention. So Stranger Things Season 4 have dropped a teaser trailer, and um, go and check that out on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, wherever you do your social medias. Make sure you give us a a like and a follow while you're there. Um, And that sort of plays out – the trailer looks like we might be getting a bit more sort of backstory into Eleven, which I think could be really cool. I am definitely keen for more Stranger Things. If anything, I think this is going to be one of those shows where once we kind of get a firm release date, I'm going to sort of set myself up and watch seasons one, two, three again. Such a such a great shape for a rewatch this series. And I do wonder, I think I may have said it when we reviewed the last season, I do wonder at what point we need to move these kids out of school <laughs> because some of them are getting quite old. I'm not sure how much more life we've got left in that, but uh great series, great characters, great cast. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to have to do something because I don't know if there's another, that if they do a season five, it will definitely be them in college or as young adults. Um, 
But anyway, I digress. Um, my other bit of news is actually there's quite a bit of news about the Golden Globes. So mm. it is peak chaos uh, for the Golden Globes. So first of all, uh, NBC has pulled out of airing the Golden Globes. And then the Golden Globes have actually just they've cancelled themselves for 2022 and have said that they've got a whole bunch of internal reflection and stuff to do. So um, the Golden Globes are run by um, HFPA, which is the Hollywood um, – I had it right here and I've lost it. Sorry, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And so they've decided they've got a whole bunch of work they need to do internally. Best to step away from it for 2022 and hopefully they'll be back for 2023. But it doesn't end there. Tom Cruise has actually returned his three Golden Globe Awards in protest of some of the things which are going on over at the HFPA. And you might ask, what are some of those things? So there's a whole bunch of issues around whether they have enough of a, I guess, um, biracial sort of review panel, whether that the fact that um, not enough um, awards have been given to um black American actors and directors and movies and there's it looks like this is you know Hollywood's really taken a stand and there's there's a whole bunch of um tweets and posts from different celebrities either encouraging people to return their golden globes or in support of that this actually this organization needs to completely review the way they operate and kind of start again because they haven't actually supported a lot of black productions for a long a long time yeah, it's shocking. There's been so much coverage of it on the news as well that in terms of you know, the reputation of that organization, I feel like they're finished there. They're, it's not just a rebrand, it's a whole new start for them to have any credibility and to, to be able to right so many wrongs. Do you know what? I think sometimes, you know, that that's the right thing to do. I I think, you know, as you you're right, Paul. I think actually rebranding these things actually isn't enough. It's a fundamental kind of like you either rebuild it and you do it properly, or actually maybe it's it's time for something different. There's something else that could maybe pave the way and be a little bit more um, acceptable and appropriate for the the age and the times that we live in. Hmm. And that is all I've actually got on my news desk this week. Yeah, I didn't have too much. I had the Golden Globes as well. The only other thing I had. Um was um so we both enjoyed knives out the ryan johnson uh, movie the sequel is definitely happening and daniel craig is now being joined by dave bautista who um of course the two of those guys played against one another uh in i was gonna say skyfall but was it actually Spectre? i can't remember now one of the bomb movies anyway um i think um that is going to be another one for us to look out for um, as more and more movies start coming through. But yeah, nothing else for me, Dan. Just a quick stop at the mailbag. Nice and quick this week. We had uh, five people uh, give us their peak performances for the Coen brothers, which we covered us as, as our um, peak performance last week. Um, so first nice. up, we have, um, we have Nat from Wellington. Uh, he went with a serious man um and i'm not sure if i've seen this or not but nat has said he is keen to talk to us more about this so he is a, a massive massive fan of of that movie so it could be one to check out have you seen a serious man i don't think i have no it's it's always amazes me and this isn't the only one because uh, you know we talked about the Coen brothers and having so many great movies and we could hardly choose them we we also had our friend michael from north carolina um now he went with the big lebowski as his runner up but his top spot went to the hudsucker proxy again i've i'd not heard of this movie let alone seen it and it turns out it's a movie starring paul newman and i love paul newman so uh, again another one i have to go away and see have you seen the hudsucker proxy never seen it but living under a bubble it's, it's it's amazing right this is um this this is this is nat and michael's choices as peak performance and we haven't heard of them. And we, you know, we're talking about movies like you know, Fargo and No Country for Old Man. It's, it's incredible. So I think these movies are definitely worth checking out. Um, we had someone from Germany get in contact with us, uh, Peter. He went with The Big Lebowski as well. We had Linda from the Wairarapa here in New Zealand. She went with Burn After Reading. That is one I have seen. And I do remember, I don't remember much about it. I do remember really enjoying it. Um, 
And as always, uh, Paddy from Time Traveling Team Podcast, he gave us his three, two, one as No Country for Old Men, The Big Lebowski. And his number one uh, was Oh Brother, Where Out Thou, which I haven't seen for a long time either, but I remember laughing a lot at that one as well. So, so many different choices in there. I love it. I, I love it. We've got a full mailbag. That's awesome. That is the mailbag this week then. Cool. Shall we move on to our peak performances? So much like our movie of the week, Paul and I take turns choosing, choosing different actors, directors, producers, etc. Um, and we list out their three, two, one, like we were just discussing in the mailbag. Who are we talking about this week, Paul? This week, Dan, one of the all-time greats, Mr. Jack Nicholson. What do you Never got heard me? of him. <laughs> what have you got for me, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, look – this is a. This was actually. This was quite tough. Um, we we say this quite regularly, and I I struggled to choose my my top three. But um, look, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to jump into it because I I could I can I'm still angsting over it as we speak. So for my for number three, I'm going to go with the 1980 movie The Shining. So. Uh, we've we've talked about The Shining and Doctor No Sleep here on the podcast before. I. And, and preparing for Dr. No Sleep, actually rewatched The Shining recently. Absolutely fantastic movie. Um, and look, you know, if, if you're a fan of this movie or you've never seen it, still highly recommended. It's got a, a great eerie feel to it. It's sort of, it's such a classic horror thriller that, and I just think, you know, Jack Nicholson's role in this is he's so chilling. I think particularly in his younger days, he's just really got that kind of dark, brooding mm-hmm. uh, vibe down pat. And he he does crazy better than anyone. That's, that's a really good way of summarizing it. He does crazy better than anyone. 100% right. And for number two, um, I'm going to go with a movie that I've talked about a few times, actually, in the the peak performance list, is I'm going to go for 2006, The Departed. So um, Jack Jack, Jack Reacher, Jack Nicholson's uh, role in this movie is Costello. Um, We've talked about The Departed so much that I'm not going to go into a lot of depth about it, but just everything about this movie is absolutely stellar. I... Anything that Jack Nicholson is is actually he steals the show, and I think you know he's a he's a great great character in the show. But my number one, and I imagine it's going to be the same as your number one, uh, Paul, is the nineteen eighty nine movie Batman. So I think this is the movie that I really first became aware of. I think Jack Nicholson as a as a young person, um, and so he plays the role of Jack Napier, who becomes um, the Joker, and. This is this is the Joker that I, I grew up with. This is the, you know, I've talked about it before. The the Batman prize pack I won as a as a young Padawan. I've had a picture of Jack Nicholson as a poster on my wall my entire childhood, and I just remember ev- everything about it. Every sort of line, I just I just love it, and I love Tim Burton's sort of rendition of of what they did with Batman here. So three, two, one for me: The Shining, The Departed, and Batman. Great choices, Dan. Great choices. Um, Jack Nicholson was making movies back in the 50s. He was in a TV show in 1956. It's absolutely incredible because he hasn't... Were you in school then, Paul? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> he hasn't done something for since 2010's... Uh, I've already forgotten the name of it. It was a horrific comedy. But uh, And I kept thinking, oh, where's he? I wonder who he's up to. He's, he's, he's getting quite old now and... Um, I think what you said with his his younger days really resonated with me because, yeah, one of my choices is also an older one from the 1970s, 1975s. Number three for me, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, so he plays the the wise guy criminal who, you know, who, who pleads insanity and ends up in a mental institution. And um, then we, you know, he goes, he goes up against the evil nurse ratchet played by Kai Wynn. I, I love this movie. I, I didn't actually watch it until I was quite old. So I, I remember having like a geeky moment of sort of seeing him in this movie alongside Danny DeVito, saying, so, you know, Joker and Penguin together and, and Christopher Lloyd as well, which was pretty cool. His, his performance in this is is great i cannot imagine anyone else carrying off that lead role as well as he does um he's he's also i mean he is so good opposite 
Louise Fletcher, who who does play the the nurse ratchet, and also um, the guy who plays uh, the chief. Uh, I just the the interactions with those characters. It's just a fascinating movie. I could easily rewatch that one. Number two for me, much like you, Dan, the two thousand six movie, The Departed, and I feel like this this was. For, for him i feel like this was his last great movie so how do you know was the 2010 movie that he finished on or at least i presume he's retired um i feel like this is the last great movie um and i think what you said before when you said he steals the show i feel like he did in this movie he's and he's up against up against he's alongside leonardo dicaprio matt damon matt Wahlberg, alec baldwin a lot of great actors in there and he does steal the show and uh, he's such a great mafia boss as, as Frank Costello. I feel like he, he could have played this type of role a whole lot more if he, if he wanted to, I guess he probably got to choose whatever he wanted to do, but so terrifying those scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio, where you're just sort of starting to worry that he's cotton on to the fact that DiCaprio is actually an undercover cop. And you just feel the adrenaline at the moment. Uh, he's, he's so angry in this movie. It's, um, it's, it's, it's as good as it gets and there's no pun intended in that. Mm-hmm. Um, my number one though Dan is in fact 1958's <laughs> you're right you called it it's 1989's Batman and it's for all the things you just said apart from the fact that I didn't have quite as many clothes that you had back in the 80s but, um, that had the Joker on it um, He, you and I often talk about who is the greatest Joker um, and in fact, I seem to recall back in the day, we had an actual list somewhere and uh, no matter where our discussions went, Jack Nicholson's Joker was always, always right in the mix for the number one spot. Um, and, you know, he, he was really famous at the time for banking, like the biggest paycheck of all time for this role. And, and I remember he took top billing in the credits and on the poster, you know, um, so many great lines that he had as Joker in this movie. He he was perfect in this role and at this age, in this moment, in this particular incarnation of 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 Batman and and no one else in the world could have played that role as as brilliantly as Jack Nicholson did and even as Jack Napier Jack Napier saw he he was great. Um he he already had the perfect smile and Joker laugh before he even got into costume. I just it's it's just made to be. It was perfect. That's my three, two, one. Tell me, Paul, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. Bang! <clears throat> That's good. That's good. You're you're a true fan. I feel like alongside sort of like the original trilogy of Star Wars and probably Star Trek Five and Beverly Hills Cop, I could probably this is one of those movies that I could have a good go at quoting at word to word from start to finish. Indeed, indeed. Oh, that was a, a great trip down uh, memory lane for Jack Nicholson. That probably brings us to the end of a, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. And our thanks uh, to Ireland's number one rated Doctor Who podcast, Time Travelling Temp, for supporting this week's episode. And also to Waste Management, New Zealand's number one choice of Willy Bin uh, order your willy bin now at wastemanagement.co.nz If you see a full willy bin rolling around Wellington City, then it's probably mine. Um, it's probably on the black market. Anyway, I better go sort that out, but before I do, special thanks to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, help keep the lights on, or the lights off on my um, car, then um, please... <laughs> Please come become a patron of the show. But until next week, everyone, adios.